Hello, this is Slow Phone Podcast, a podcast about the healthy use of technologies. Hello, everyone. We are now live here with Cici Doucet from Massachusetts for Safe Technology. Thank you very much, Cici, to be with us. Thank you, Silvia, also to help here in this work. And um, be welcome. Welcome to this conversation. Please uh, introduce yourself, a little bit of your work, how everything this starts in your life. Sure. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to join you today. Um, like many people who might be watching this, I had no idea there was anything to be concerned about with wireless technology uh, until somebody tipped me off that there could be. So uh, if it's okay with you, I will go ahead and start a screen share and I can kind of walk you through my story. And uh, let Fantastic. me click this and go. Can everybody see that? Yes, now we can see. Okay, good. So when I first learned about this issue, I worked for my local public schools. And when my daughters were in school, I spent, I think, eight years bringing in technology. And then we became the first in the United States to start taking some precautions around it. And I'll walk us through that story. Um, this little MTPW up by my name, just means that I was very fortunate to be able to earn a master's in technical and professional writing from Northeastern University. Um, and once we started figuring out what the wireless radiation issue was, I began to work with my state senator on this. And I've also since testified up in the state of New Hampshire. And I'll walk us through a really good bill that we got put through in New Hampshire. I've had the privilege of meeting many of the world's leading scientists and doctors who specialize in this radio frequency or microwave radiation that we call Wi-Fi today. And we built a little nonprofit out of Europe that has some educational courses that anybody can start taking today. And I'll share more about that. And on this journey for the longest time, I thought I was the only one in Massachusetts who even knew we had a problem. And then I came to find out there were many people figuring this out all over our state as more and more people became sick from this or their children became sick from this. So we have worked together and just recently established Massachusetts for Safe Technology. And anywhere in my presentation where we see a blue underline, that's a link to get to further information. So at the end of the program, when this gets posted up on YouTube in the comments section, I will give my uh, presentation to our host today and you're welcome to post that in the description so people can get the actual presentation and then drill down. And I tell people, don't take my word on any of this. We should all take a little bit of time and do our own research and decide then what it is that we think we wanna do to have safe technology in our lives today. Somewhere along the way, somebody at our United States National Institutes of Health, that's at the top of our country, they asked me to co-chair the technology panel for the Health in Buildings Roundtable Conference down at our National Institutes of Health. And so I was very honored to do that. And on our panel, we had Frank Clegg, who's the retired president of Microsoft Canada. 
And when he was in the industry, he didn't really know too much about the science. And when he retired, he sought out a dozen of the world's leading experts on this and realized just how bad the situation is. And he came back to North America and said, Canada's Safety Code 6 uh, guidelines or standards are not safe. And here in the United States, the guidelines that we have from our Federal Communications Commission, just like they have in Europe with the ICNRB guidelines, they're not safe. They're not actually protecting us from the non-thermal biological effects. And so Dr. Martin Paul is another one of the world's leading scientists. He joined our technology panel. We have Theodora Scarato, who's the executive director of the Environmental Health Trust. We have Peter Sullivan from Clearlight Ventures, whose two sons became uh, diagnosed on the autism spectrum when they came up through the preschool years and they were having communication disorders. And he has actually gotten both of his sons off of the autism spectrum. And they're now young adults living full and wonderful lives. And today he says it's certainly important to pay attention to the food toxins, to remove the heavy metals from the body. But he said, now I tell parents as a first line of defense, remove the wireless radiation exposures. And a lot of children start to see improvements in a very short amount of time. So we had all of us on this technology panel and we each had only less than 10 minutes, I think, to speak. So for those who are new to this conversation, I would suggest go to this presentation that we did at the National Institutes of Health. And in these very short videos, you'll get to get a high level view of what this issue is. And because it was held at the National Institutes of Health, that brings credibility for people who are doubting whether this issue even exists. So. I, I really like the videos that we've got there. And then I was very honored to be invited to speak on state and local policy at the recent Electromagnetic Fields Medical Conference that we just had at the end of January. And I know there's, I, I never imagined I'd have to learn all this new te technology or these terminologies. So EMF just stands for Electromagnetic Fields of this radiation that comes off of our wireless devices. It's electromagnetic fields of radio frequency radiation, or it's also known as two-way microwave radiation. So this is what I've been busy with lately. Uh, and what we'll talk about today is I'll walk you through the legal fine print that shows right in our own devices, we should be careful. I'll go through the science at the high level on what the long-term effects are and the short-term effects. And then we'll talk about schools and uh, the inroads that I was able to make in my schools and what others are doing around our country and elsewhere. And then we'll talk a little bit about this amazing bill that we got passed in New Hampshire and the report that just came out on November 1st that talks about conflicts of interest between the industry and our government regulators. And then they come up with 15 recommendations for what we can do to have wonderful, safe technology without the wireless radiation exposures. And then we'll talk about next steps. So once we learn all this, what can we do? What can you and I do? What can our schools do? What can our towns do? Uh, to start getting ahead of this and get us to the point where we have excellent technology and reduce all these risks. 
So feel free to, to pop up and stop me at any point and we can ask questions along the way or we can save them at the end, whatever feels right to you. So for anybody who's with us today that has an iPhone, if you can bring it out and go into settings, I wanna show you what the legal fine print disclaimer says in there. And it's not just in iPhones, but I can walk you through exactly where to find it in an iPhone. Uh, but there's also a website called See the Fine Print that has some of the common radio frequency radiation exposure um, warnings in there that most of us never had any idea that this was difficult. So I'll give you the link to that. Once you're in settings in your iPhone, scroll down just a little bit and press general. From general on an old phone, up at the top you would hit about, but most people have upgraded since then. So from general, go all the way down to the bottom. And I think second from last, you'll see legal and regulatory. And one way to remember how to find this again, if you're interested in sharing it with your loved ones or colleagues, is just remember the acronym GAL, which in English means woman. So you can just remember this woman was on the show and she taught us how to find this fine print. So settings, general, legal. Once you're in legal, there's a little list and five or so down, you'll see RF exposure. RF just means this radio frequency radiation that in that legal fine print, they politely call that energy. And it is energy. It's a light energy form that's carrying all of our signals back and forth. And that RF exposure disclaimer tells us a couple of really important things. One, keep this device at a distance. It says it was tested at a distance from the body because without forthright telling us, when we put this phone up to our head, we are exceeding the government guidelines by many times for public radiation exposure. And in the next paragraph, it tells us to use a hands-free option like a speakerphone or a headset that came with the device because simply by holding that device in your hands, you are now being exposed to five or six separate antennas from that one device that are independently, constantly pulsing for a handshake with the nearest cell tower or router. And the message is certainly not no technology, it's safe technology. And now with 5G coming and they want you to get a whole new phone, not only will it have those existing five or six antennas, now they're gonna add more antennas in there that will be adding a whole nother layer of radiation exposure. So that's been in there all the time. And it's not just our cell phones, it's every single device that we have that can connect to the internet. So anything that's smart technology, the internet of things, these are all being sold to us now with radiation antennas in them that are usually pulsing all the time as soon as we turn it on, unless we learn how to control our own devices so that we choose if and when we even want those signals to be coming into our living space. So, one of the other issues, first, people don't even know this legal fine print is there, but secondly, just like with this COVID-19 pandemic, if that's taught us anything, is we need to be really aware of what these invisible exposures are. 
And this wireless radiation is another one of those invisible exposures, just like a virus. So when I first started learning about this, I realized there were detection meters where we could make this invisible toxin something that we could see and hear. So I worked with my town and I got a grant to put a radiation detection meter on loan in our public library. And if you go to the little link there that says Ashland, that's my town in Massachusetts. And my local cable company was really sweet to come to my home and we did a public service announcement and we just walked around my house and showed what these radiation exposures look like and then made suggestions like we'll cover today for how to still have excellent technology, but without this radiation risk. So what I'd like to do now, um, I can't see you guys from where I'm sitting right now. Can you still see me on camera? Yeah, yeah, we, are, we can see you. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna turn on this acoustometer. Can you see that okay? In my picture Yeah, here? yes, we, okay. we can see. Thank you for the confirmation. So in my house, I have excellent technology and I'll tell you, my technology is so much faster than anybody who's using wireless because I run all of my technology through cables, through ethernet cables, through fiber optics coming to my house from the street. But watch what happens when I turn my cell phone back on. And I just have an old hand-me-down cell phone from my husband. Um, and most people just know to get me by my landline telephone at home or shoot me an email and I will respond then. But watch what happens. So this is the radiation. <laughs> that comes off of one device. So imagine just one device. There's no Wi-Fi routers. Let me turn that down. Just I'm the sorry. cell phone. Pardon? Just the cell phone. There's no Wi-Fi ah. routers, no other devices. Just one device. Just one device, not my router, because I've hardwired my router and I turned off the antennas. Yes. I've hardwired my printer and turned off the antennas. I got my keyed, my corded mouse and my corded keyboard back. And so everything that I can control in my house is hardwired because otherwise every single device that we've bought into that has an antenna in it is doing that to our cells at billions of cycles a second. And so we know now scientifically what that does to us. So let's go ahead and look at the science. So what happens in the long term? So this study over here on the right was conducted in our country at the United States National Toxicology Program, which is part of our National Institutes of Health. So this is the top of our country. They had been working on this study for two decades. And so they started way back when, when cell phones were the technology of the day. And they thought they would go in and find that there's no risk, that this is all fine and safe. But what it says here in this red oval, clear evidence of tumors. And it also says DNA damage, which is the roadmap to grow a proper person or plant or anything. Um, and so the industry, when these good studies come out, 
will put their spin on it and say, oh, well, that's that's just one study. You know, you need other studies that will say the same thing. Well, right as we finished with this study in the United States, Italy's Ramazzini Institute came up with another large, highly credible study that showed the same thing that we found. So it was actually the infertility studies when I started reading those that made me realize we have a really big problem here because they have taken uh, male human sperm, exposed it to a laptop with the antennas turned on and it changed the DNA. It slowed the motility or the speed that the little sperm swim at and it caused far fewer sperm to survive. It was killing off the sperm cells in just four hours of exposure to a laptop. And my youngest daughter had just gone into high school and at Christmas, we gave her a laptop for school. And of course, where is she using it, but right on top of her reproductive organs. So I was just, I was just dumbfounded. And then I continued to read the infertility studies and I came across the work of uh, Dr. Barry Trower, who's a physicist from the Royal Navy in England. And he is one of the physicists who developed microwaves for military weapons. And he talks about how this is killing our germline. So what it's doing to a girl's reproductive organs is, is horrific because Girls are born with all 30,000 eggs that they're going to ever have. Boys at least might have a chance of reproducing sperm at some point that won't be damaged. But in most cases, this carries down the germline. So we are in big trouble with infertility. And there is no safe level of radio frequency microwave radiation in the scientific literature. So although many people listening to this might have never heard of it, the science is there, and that's the only place that we should be getting our information from is from the peer-reviewed, published, credible science, not the industry's, you know, suppression of it. Cici, I have a question. Yes. Uh, about these two works of NTP and Ramazzini, um, mm -hmm. what year, uh, from what year they were released? Do you know? Yeah, 2018. So they're very recent. Ramazzini or NTP? Both, 2018, mm -hmm. and why? Why if they they show so clear evidence of tumors and DNA damage, why the ICNIRP and the WHO and other institutions say there's no clear evidence? Why? Well, I've got a slide in here that will address that. The World Health Organization, as it turns out, has two groups that address these radio frequency electromagnetic fields. One of them is very heavily tied to industry, and the other one is not. The other one had very highly credentialed doctors and scientists who in 2011, after reviewing the science that we had 10 years ago, determined that there was enough evidence at that time that we should classify this as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic, to human toxin. And so they don't lightly put um, items into that group 2B category. 
So the industry, however, will spin it and say, oh, that's the same category as coffee and pickled vegetables. And when I first heard that, I thought, wow, what does that even mean? So I went and I looked. The issue with coffee is it was being grown with chemicals that were causing cancers in some people. They've since worked on that and it's no longer on the 2B list. The pickled vegetables, there was a certain type of pickled vegetable that was being cured with formaldehyde and it was being eaten in great quantities by certain Asian populations that were developing cancer after eating these pickled vegetables with formaldehyde for years. So coffee and pickled vegetables deserve to be on that 2B possible human carcinogen list, but the industry likes to take things and try and make it so you're distracted from looking at the real science. So there are there are groups out there who work very hard so that the public does not ever look at the real science. So neurotoxicity means poisoning of the brain, right? We are making our brains toxic. And what the science shows with this is we have barriers in our body that prevent toxins from going into sensitive tissues when our body is cleaning up through you know, cell repair and regeneration and the blood escorts the toxins out of the body. Well, now what's happening is because these microwaves are pulsing at us at billions and millions of cycles a second, all day and all night, unless we know where to stop that, it is opening up the blood-brain barrier. And so now when our blood is escorting toxins out, it can turn and bring those toxins right into our brain. And so now we have, in addition to the horrible food chemicals that are damaging our societies, we now have scientific evidence linking this radio frequency to attention deficit disorder, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, to autism, to Alzheimer's. There are other diseases called PANS and PANDAS but we have never had so many children and now adults dealing with this like we've had since we introduced these environmental toxins. And I just wanted to make a note that children are not just little people. Biologically, all their systems are still under development. Their DNA is still under development. Their immune system, their central nervous system, and their skulls are thinner. So if you were to put a, tele a cell phone up to a child's head, if we look at this graphic down here on the right, this is as if the head were turned sideways and the little yellow thing is you know, the ear where the cell phone goes. On an adult with a fully formed skull, it's going about a third of the way into our brains. On a 10-year-old child, it's going almost three quarters of the way into a child's brain. And on a five-year-old child, look how far it's going almost the entire way into the child's brain. And a child's brain has a higher water content. And so it's much more active in a child's brain, but it's certainly not good for you and I either. Excuse me, Sissy, how are you? I think you just um, uh, put the age of the wrong, the wrong children. Uh, isn't the, the middle child the five-year-old? No, the middle child is the 10-year-old. See how, so this is the edge of the skull on the other side. Oh, okay. 
So it goes about this far on a 10-year-old, and then on a five-year-old, you can see it's five to the edge of the skull again. So Excellent. thank you. Yeah, we really, really need to protect our children and the DNA of our unborn, our fetuses, are the most vulnerable inside of a woman's womb. Um, so yeah, and then in the short term, there are so many symptoms that so many people experience today and they have no idea to even question whether if they turned off their cell phone at night or just simply put it in airplane mode to turn off the antennas. You can still use your clock, your alarm, you know, any entertainment you've downloaded. That's there to enjoy on any mobile device, but turn off the radiation unless you absolutely have to be sending data back and forth. So here's what so many people are suffering from today. And here in the United States, our Americans with Disabilities Act already recognizes these electrical sensitivities. So we have protections in place, but most people don't know about it. But we are, we are protected, but we need to get public policy to support that. So one of the biggest things that people struggle with today is trouble with sleep, the insomnia and nightmares. A new study just came out this past week out of Spain. They did an epidemiological study or studying what's actually happening in the population. And they reported that with these um, wireless exposures, a lot of people are experiencing insomnia, having nightmares, because what this radiation does is another thing that it does. Um, in the dark hours of our sleep, the pineal gland in the brain is meant to release melatonin. Melatonin's job is to go in and regulate our sleep cycle, but also to escort those toxins through the blood and out of the body. And what happens with this constant invisible light pulsing at us all the time, even through our sleeping hours, the brain can't distinguish between natural daylight and this energy form that is this microwave radiation. So our brain thinks the lights are on all the time. And so it's not releasing the melatonin to regulate our sleep cycle. So that's why it's critically important to create a sleeping sanctuary where you shut off all the wireless and allow your body to do its proper repair and regeneration and for children, their DNA development while we sleep. Headaches stabbing, searing headaches, migraines that people's doctors can't seem to figure out. Nosebleeds and ear bleeds. Um, my own daughter was getting uh, nosebleeds spontaneously and she in high school actually had an optical migraine. You know, kids aren't supposed to be getting migraines. And as soon as I figured this out and and you know, got the courage to change all this stuff that we had bought in our house that was pulsing this, her headaches and nosebleeds went way down unless she allowed herself to get dehydrated. But other than that, so many people get so much better in a very short amount of time just by turning everything off. Chronic fatigue is huge because our poor cells only have so much energy. And our cells are meant to do what they're meant to do. And now we've had on, added on all this huge burden with all this electro smog that our cells have to fight off day and night. And it just leaves a lot of us wiped out. 
And then pain, stabbing, searing pains in the neck or the back or the legs that doctors can't seem to figure out. But once you remove the exposures, a lot of that goes away. And then one of the early signs that some people will get is things go funny with their skin. Maybe you put the phone to your head and your ear burns. Or with me, if I hold a cell phone in active mode, my pinky finger starts to tingle. So others feel tingling in different body parts. Um, I met a man here in the town next to me. The way he found out about this is the nerves in his leg were starting to go all jumpy on him. And his doctors couldn't figure out. So he just started doing his research. And he found out that this can cause nerve damage. And that's exactly where he kept his cell phone was on that leg in his pocket. So, you know, the, the skin abnormalities, the irregular heartbeats, it can cause your heart to beat too fast or too slow, depending on what your own biology is. And cognitive impairment is such a big one where people can't hold a thought anymore. Uh, and for the elderly where our um, cognitive abilities begin to slowly decline as we age. The cognitive impairment can leave a lot of people not doing very well. And then, you know, as we talked about before, all of the neuro stuff, the anger, the behavior issues, that when you remove a child from that environment, a lot of those issues calm way down. Again, the anxiety, the depression, the suicidal ideation, this is a neurotoxin. And just quickly, it's not a problem just for you and I, it's every living cell on our planet. Dr. Cindy Russell did this wireless silent screen. She founded Physicians for Safe Technology, which is an excellent website to go to. This report here talks about the biological impact and how we're destroying nature with this electrosmog. Our pollinators and our birds, they have uh, magnetite in their brains or in their beaks that is their navigation system. It allows them to synchronize with the Earth's electromagnetic field, and that's what helps them to get back to the hive or the nest and do what they do. Well, now that we've brought in this huge layer of electrosmog, it's dysregulating their navigation system and then they can't get back to where they need to be. And we also know now with uh, 5G coming in, it's gonna use smaller radiation waves that are the size of our poor little pollinators. And it, it in many cases can overpower them. And if we don't have pollinators, we don't have crops. So this is critically important. Another little secret of the industry is that wireless systems consume 10 times more energy than the better solution, which is to just run the fiber optics or the high-speed cable right to our buildings, and then we just pick up inside with ethernet cables. So if anybody's wanting to get serious about climate change, we have got to get a hold of technology and stop consuming so much energy. And the mineral extraction that goes into the minerals that are needed for every one of these devices, there are horrible things happening with regard to human rights and what they're doing to get those minerals. The data warehouses, the networks, and all of our personal devices consume so much energy. All of this streaming, every time we send and receive, all of the charging and recharging we do. And in the background, 
you know, everyone's encouraging us, oh, get this app, get that app, and we load them up and they sit there. But in the background, they are constantly updating and using energy to do all those updates. So get rid of the apps that you don't use regularly and turn them all off until the point at which you choose to do an up, upload, download quickly to update your applications. So how did I get involved with our schools? I used to run our local education foundation and we kept hearing about this 21st century classroom and how our children were need, going to need to have access to all this new technology in order to succeed in the world. And in my school, we're just a small school in Massachusetts. Our budgets had been cut year after year after year. So we didn't have money to buy all this new equipment. So as a parent, when I was helping to run our education foundation, we decided to run campaigns. So we raised money to get wireless infrastructure, to get iPads and Chromebooks and smart boards and Apple TVs and minis and what we were being told was all this great new technology. And then one night I was at my book group and my girlfriend, Wendy, is an electrical engineer. And she had been reading a book by uh, Anna Louise Gittleman called Zapped. Like if you stuck your finger in a socket, you would get zapped. And in Zapped, Wendy was learning that there are biological risks with today's technology. But, you know, that was book group. So I just kind of made a mental note of it and, and went about my way. And then not long after that, I read something else that was inferring the same thing. So I thought, uh-oh, if there's anything to this, I would like to know because I spent eight years bringing it into our schools. So that's where I fell down the rabbit hole and started doing my investigation. And when our schools looked at that legal fine print that we reviewed before, I think they realized they didn't do it on purpose, but they now have legal risk exposure for giving these devices to the children and to the staff with absolutely no safety training. So I didn't know it at the time, but we became the first public school district in the United States to even have this little sign hanging in our classrooms, best practices for mobile devices, turn off the devices when you're not using them or at least put them in airplane mode, turn off the wireless access points and only turn them on when we absolutely need them. And even that legal fine print says to keep it away from the body. So always put the device on a solid surface other than your body. And you don't want to put it on a metal desk because metal amplifies the radiation. So we became the first in the nation to do that. But our school district is still waiting. This was 2014. Our school district is still waiting for higher authorities from the state level to tell them to really turn off the wireless all the time and just use technology that is safe and healthy for our children, which again, it's not rocket science. Just hardwire your technology and download the applications. And we were very fortunate to bring together a panel of leading experts, doctors and scientists, even from the World Health Organization, as well as Frank Clegg from Microsoft Canada, Theodora Scarato joined us again. And we have a special forum here 
called Questioning the Safety of Our Children's Exposure to Wireless Radiation in Schools. And when you go out to YouTube for this, you will find the slides from those presentations and you can drill down in through those as well. So my hope is to provide you with resources to make this a credible conversation to open with your own schools. Now, one of the um, saddest things I've read is that the New York Times did a series of articles about what Silicon Valley executives are doing with their own children. They are banning any kind of screens from their children. They're sending their children to schools with no technology so that a child's brain can develop as it was always meant to develop by interactions with their teachers, with their peers, with nature, and thinking for themselves. So Silicon Valley executives are actually having their nannies sign contracts that there will be no screens around their children. And yet they keep pushing this further and further onto our kids. Maryland here in the United States uh, did an investigation into this and their Department of Health, their children and electromagnetic radiation in schools report says that we should be hardwiring our schools and skipping the wireless. And then Dr. Tony Stein worked with the US Collaborative for High Performance Schools. This is an organization that's nationwide and they rate schools on how green they are, how well they are doing with incorporating indoor spaces that are healthy and safe. And she worked with them to come up with a low EMF or electromagnetic field set of best practices for how to make sure your kids aren't exposed to dirty electricity, that there's no really high magnetic fields or bad, ele bad electric fields, but also the wireless radiation. And they too recommend hardwire the schools. So the other bit I wanted to talk about today is cell towers. And initially we had these big cell towers in industrial parks far away from where we live and work and play and go to schools. They were like 300 feet up in the air, these big macro cell antennas. So that was the first layer of technology. And now we have a lot of studies, you know, not only the ones we just looked at, but also the ones that were done around these cell towers to show that if you are within 500 meters of one of these cell antennas, you have higher rates of cancers, you have higher rates of insomnia, you have higher rates of neurological issues, and so many of the other things that we've already covered. So it's critical to not listen to the industry, but go take a look. Look at these studies from all over the world that are showing this harm. And here in the United States, and perhaps in Brazil, you have something similar. But there are websites out there that you can put in any address and it will show you what's within a three mile radius, for example. So I put in the address of the state house for our legislators here in Boston, in Massachusetts. And there were so many of these big cell antennas and towers that it could not give me the normal three mile radius. It was reduced to one mile because there were a high number of antennas detected. So within one mile of where our senators and state representatives go to work, there were 70 cell towers, plus all the ones that are mounted on buildings now, 
There were 1,184 of these giant cell antennas, powerful cell antennas within one mile of where our legislators go to work every day. And there, uh, this is a map from one of our uh, predominantly colored neighborhoods in Boston. This is in Hyde Park, Massachusetts. And you can see that the industry quite often will target underprivileged areas and start rolling out their toxic infrastructure there. So the environmental justice movement is a really important part of this as well. But this is a graphic from my research repository. So I'm a technical and professional writer by trade. And when I first got into all of this, I got in way over my head and I couldn't remember where good studies were that I wanted to share later. So being a tech writer, I just built my own simple research repository. There's no bells or whistles, no pretty pictures. I just needed a place to put things and to categorize them so that I could go in quickly and find resources to share with others. So this is my page for cell towers. And then I have another page here for 5G and IoT. So understanding EMFs, and then if you just put that into a search, search engine and say understanding EMFs CC do set, it will bring this up if anybody's interested. So what is 5G? Cecilia, could I just say something before you continue? <laughs> Thank you. You were saying that the cell towers um, in Boston are usually put in places that are not so wealthy, but are they away from the schools? Or, because um, I'm talking about the schools, the public schools and the private schools. How, how is the placement of the antennas? They are putting them on our schools. Okay, because this, this is unfortunately happening, happening here in Brazil. It's very frequent in hospitals too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, um, the hospitals are, are really, uh, it's just heartbreaking. I used to have a doctor in a big office building and they put cell antennas all over the roof, right on top of this whole medical building. Same thing in the hospitals. They're coming in and saying, hey, you guys will get better reception if, if we can just put one of these antennas inside your building in a closet. So we need to really just keep bringing the education forward because who would ever know? They're being seduced with great rates. They'll make sweetheart deals. You know, if you put this up, we'll give you money every month. How would they know to say no unless we bring them the credible, peer-reviewed, published scientific literature? So yes, unfortunately, we are seeing major problems in schools. Um, there's a school in California where there was a cell tower on the school property and children and staff ultimately started getting cancers. Same thing happened in uh, Boulder, Colorado. They put a cell tower on top of the school building and they had, I think four or six kids in the same graduating class all came down with these most unusual cancers that we know in the literature radiation can cause. So yeah, it's a big problem. And our universities are targeted as well. Uh, Virginia Farber is a mother who lost her son after he went to a university in San Diego, California. And there were many in his building that came down with these deadly cancers. So 
yeah, unfortunately our schools are targeted and they don't know any better than to accept this money from industry in exchange for putting these antennas right on top of the kids. So what is 5G? 5G simply means fifth generation technology. It's what came after 3G or third or fourth generation technology, which is what runs all of our cell phones today. Uh, but it's a whole different ball game. So the industry is spinning it that we will have faster entertainment downloads, we'll have smart cities, super highways, and that may be true, but at what cost? The existing cell infrastructure, all those thousands and thousands and thousands of big cell antennas that we already have are not going anywhere. They will be the backbone for 5G. What we're doing is adding a whole new layer of electrosmog. The wavelengths that carry our, let's say our 3G or 4G cell phone signals, those are longer wavelengths. They can go into a building and through objects and stuff. 5G, all that's left, they pretty much maxed out all they can earn on those bigger waves. They've used them up for the better part. All that's left are these really crummy little millimeter waves. And these little waves can't go through objects. They might get shot down by rain or snow or a leaf on a tree. And that's another problem is we see that when the industry comes in, they just start decimating the trees, cutting the trees down or cutting half the tree down. And it's just horrible for our environment. So these little waves for 5G, they can't go very far. So the industry's solution is to put a cell tower every two to 12 houses, not in an industrial park, but now right inside our neighborhood, right at the curb outside your house and mine. That's what 5G is, bringing all of this toxic technology. And you know, I showed you the map before of all the big cell antennas. This is a map now in Boston. These are the Boston neighborhoods and every one of these polka dots is now also a new small cell antenna. So it's already happening. And their goal is to put millions of these everywhere everywhere for 5G to fly. And as I mentioned, this is an environmental justice issue, not only in Hyde Park in Boston, but all over the world. And as if that weren't bad enough, with every generation, the industry promises that everybody's gonna get this technology and it's gonna be great and won't everybody be so happy. And then what they do is they roll it out in the areas that they can make the most money which is where you would have the most users, which is our densely populated cities and towns. And then they still have failed to deliver to get good technology out to our suburbs, out to our farming areas, like they promised. So now their promise this time is that everyone will get 5G, they'll have great technology, and they're gonna hang literally hundreds of thousands of satellites from the sky that will beam down this radiation and connect with something on the ground. So now where are you gonna go if this is making you sick? If, you're, if you learn enough to safeguard your home and you get sick from this, how are you gonna survive walking outside of your home with all of these satellites beaming this radiation down from the sky? So we're, we're in it pretty deep right now.
And the kicker is this was never ever safety tested. This link here goes to a congressional hearing that's at our federal level with Senator Richard Blumenthal from the state of Connecticut. He was at a commerce hearing and he said to the industry, so please share with us how much money have you invested in doing independent research to make sure that 5G is safe before it comes to market. And both of these industry leaders basically said, uh, we really don't know of any money that's been invested on 5G scientific testing. So it all came to market with no safety testing, just like 3G and 4G did and 1G and 2G before that. And if that weren't bad enough, Computer World and other trade publications are now reporting that 5G is a bad joke. It's not even living up to the faster speeds that they've been promoting. We're getting faster speeds with the existing 4G. We don't need 5G, nor do we want it once we understand what the science is telling us. So oftentimes um, when we have changes that actually start happening, it happens because it goes through the courts and the guilty are held accountable. Uh, public policy catches up and the public wakes up and starts demanding better. So there's a lot of really good things happening at this point in time. Our Federal Communications Commission is being sued for ignoring the science, both by the Environmental Health Trust and Children's Health Defense. And now, just last week, the industry changed the rules with the FCC. It used to be that if you wanted to have a satellite dish on your private home, on your private property, you could have a satellite dish because that was a one-way signal coming from a satellite just to your house. So that's your business. They just changed this OTARD rule, which stands for over the air reception device rule. They just changed that rule here in the United States so that now the industry can come knock on your door or your neighbor's door and say, hey, We'll give you free Wi-Fi. Maybe we'll even throw in one of these new cool 5G phones if you'll just let us put an antenna up on your roof. So in my neighborhood, for example, we don't have streetlight poles anymore. All of our electrical cables are buried underground. So this is a great thing for the industry to do to come into a neighborhood like mine and say, hey, we'll give you some money or we'll give you free Wi-Fi or a new phone if you let us put an antenna on your roof and then you'll be able to give everybody in your neighborhood great reception without telling them a single word about the horrible radiation they're gonna be pulsing at their loved ones and their neighbors 24 seven. So that just happened last Monday, that OTARD rule went into effect and the Children's Health Defense has filed another lawsuit to stop that. They tried to do an injunction or a stay to stop that from going into effect last Monday, but the courts ruled in favor of the industry again. So here in the United States, we've already had one lawsuit won by a group calling themselves the Irregulators, and they figured out this clever accounting that the industry had done. We as um, subscribers to phone services had already paid long ago to have the right kind of technology brought into our neighborhoods. And that's the high speed fiber optics or cable or copper, bring it right to the building, right to the premises. 
and then again just connect with Ethernet cables and doors. So we already paid for that and they never delivered on it. What they did instead when it became highly profitable, cheap and easy to install wireless, they took that money out of the hardwired bucket and they put it in their Wi-Fi bucket. And so they took our money and started putting up all this wireless infrastructure. So the regulators sued and they freed up our states to go back and reclaim that money to bring a better technology right into our buildings and our homes. So that's something that we can look at here in the United States. And I don't know if that might be an option in Brazil or in other areas, but that could be one avenue. And then under the ADA, which is our Americans for Disabilities Act, and I was grateful to see that last week you had Sheena Symington on to talk about being protected under the law. We've had some lawsuits here. There was a federal lawsuit at a very uh, prestigious private school called the Fay School in Massachusetts where this little boy kept getting sick at school and his doctors finally figured out it was from the wireless system. And for the first time in the United States, the court recognized that yes, there are effects at the non-thermal level because right now all of our government regulations say you have to have heat from a device before it can harm you. But the science is showing that we are seeing biological effects at hundreds of thousands of times below. So our, we still allow this much and we're seeing biological effects hundreds of thousands of times at exposures below the, the limitations that ICNRP and the FCC allow. So the first time in American courts, they recognize you don't have to have heat to have harm. And then there's another case with a school teacher from the Los Angeles Unified School District in California. They said they were gonna offer accommodations so that she could safely return to her classroom and do what she loves, which is teaching her students. And then they did not follow through with their promises to give her accommodations to create a safe working environment. And now all the classrooms have all this radiation pulsing all the time. So she has a lawsuit right now and the courts just determined that yes, her lawsuit can go forward. So we look forward to seeing what will happen with that. So our best law in the United States came out of New Hampshire. And I was so grateful because New Hampshire did what I, what I thought all of our legislators would do when we raise this issue. And that is to study it and then come up with ideas to fix it. So I don't know if anybody with us today has watched the award-winning film called Generation Zapped, but I was asked to do screenings of this film around, um, around Massachusetts and other states. And we did a screening here in Massachusetts, which borders New Hampshire, and a woman came down and watched with us, and she became deathly ill from this radio frequency electro smog and it took her a really long time to figure out what was making her so sick. So she was really excited to come down and watch the film with us and sit in a room with people who were discussing this. So she went back to New Hampshire and uh, her state representative came knocking on her door asking to be reelected. So Deb Hodgson invited Representative Patrick Abrami in and he's an engineer. And our engineers and our physicists and our technologists have only been taught that heat theory, that thermal effect. 
So Rebbe Brahmi thought you had to have heat before you could have harm. But she shared with him literally the thousands of studies from all over the world that show you don't have to have heat. There's a lot of harm happening at our public radiation limits today. So Rebbe Brahmi was curious. And when he left Deb's house, he went and he started doing the deep dive into the scientific literature. And he had this major wow moment like, wow, what are we doing? So he wrote a bill. Deb introduced him to me. I took a look at his bill for him and made some suggestions. And then bless him, they got in his car from New Hampshire and drove down to my house a few hours away in Massachusetts. And we spent the afternoon going over this issue and helping him to connect the dots. And then he went back and he improved his bill and put these really incredible questions in. Like, why has the insurance industry long ago recognized these huge risks from radiofrequency radiation or electromagnetic fields? Lloyds of London, Swiss RE, AM Best, they do not cover damages from wireless. And some of these guys will cover just about anything, but they will not cover damages from wireless. Why does that legal fine print to say keep it away? Why is our government ignoring thousands of peer-reviewed studies? <clears throat> and why don't they pay any attention to the biological effects at the non-thermal, non-ionizing level? And why do our country, does our country, like some of the others, allow hundreds of times more radiation exposure than other countries do? And why is nobody looking at the cumulative effect of all of these exposures at once and then day after day, this cumulative effect? So they um, had Frank Clegg from Microsoft Canada came in and testified. Dr. Paul Theroux, who's one of the world's leading scientists from Canada, he drove down and testified. I was asked to come up and testify from Massachusetts and a number of Massachusetts citizens, parents, people suffering from electrosensitivities, a biologist and others also testified. We got that bill passed through their technology area in the house. It went to their science, technology and energy committee. They advanced the bill and then it went on the Senate side to the health and human services committee, which was uh, led by a medical doctor who co-sponsored this bill. And Repa Brahmi was a Republican. Dr. Sherman was a Democrat. So we had both sides of the house and the Health and Human Services Committee also reported this bill out favorably. And then it went to the governor, Governor Sununu, and he signed it into law. All this happened in less than seven months time. And here in Massachusetts, we have had bills trying to get something done for eight years now. So I can't tell you exactly what the difference is, but in New Hampshire, the legislators are not paid politicians. They receive a $100 stipend per year and taxes get taken out of that. They get a little tiny stipend. So most people go into public service in New Hampshire to do right for their communities. In other areas, people are paid politicians. And if that's your livelihood, then maybe you have to be much more careful about trying to keep industry happy and sometimes that tilts to the sacrifice of protecting the public. So in New Hampshire, they came up with this groundbreaking report 
um, which I'll show you. When I looked at it, I went, oh my goodness, it's 390 pages. That's going to scare a lot of people off. But the way they set it up, most of this is the appendix that gives the backup information for how they came up with their recommendations. So the actual report, the majority report is there were 13 people on the commission and 10 of them said, yes, after looking at this science, we come up with these recommendations. Their summary and those recommendations are all right here in the first 17 pages of this report. And then there were two people from industry on the commission plus one senator who favored the industry's perspective. And so their information is actually in here, starting on page 18, they get to say what they wanna say. So it's kind of interesting that you get not only an independent investigation, but you also get to see the industry's playbook, which is what they're telling all of our towns. So um, I love this New Hampshire report. It's the strongest, uh, document that we have here in the United States and the industry, I've already seen them spin it at, you know, like city council meetings since then they'll say, oh, that New Hampshire report, you don't have to pay any attention. Other states took a look and they didn't find anything wrong with it. Well, no other state did the deep dive and investigated the way that New Hampshire did. So let me tell you a little bit about who was on that commission. We had two medical doctors. I think we had like five engineers, we had physicists, we had um, uh, one of the world's leading scientists, Dr. Paul Carew served on that. And we had people from the attorney general's office, which is the people's lawyer. We had people from academia. We had Dr. Uh, Kent Chamberlain of the University of New Hampshire, who was the uh, head of their computer and engineering college there. He came in thinking there was no problem with wireless, and then he joined the minor, or the majority once he read all the scientific literature. And so another thing that the industry tries to say about this New Hampshire report is, oh, it's all just fringe science. Well, what, or what um, Dr. Chamberlain did and others is they vetted the science, and Dr. Chamberlain worked with a librarian at the university because where this science shows up, it's not in popular magazines. These are industry specific, highly regarded trade journals. So they might not have a huge readership, but they are read by the scientists and the doctors in these special areas. So when the industry says, oh, it's just fringe science or other states you know, say there's no problem, that's because the other states did not do their due diligence and they just looked at captured federal agencies instead of looking at the independent peer-reviewed thousands of scientific studies. So in this report, uh, it answers the question, why don't we know that wireless radiation is so harmful? And one of the documents referenced is captured agency, how the federal communications communication is dominated by the industries it presumably regulates. And this report came out of Harvard University in their law school center for ethics and in captured agency it basically indicates that all of our federal agencies have been captured by industry and that what they are doing is suppressing the evidence of harm they're using their big lobbying power they're writing the laws in their favor and it's like the big tobacco playbook all over again only worse because at least we can smell tobacco we can't tell that we're in a high radiation environment
unless we use a meter. And then that $30 million study that our government did with the National Toxicology Program, that was originally commissioned by our federal Food and Drug Administration two decades ago when other people were running the FDA. Today, the gentleman who's in charge of that radiation area at the FDA, he should have taken that study and translated it into public policy to protect the public. Instead, he turned around to our Federal Communications Commission and said, oh, no need to change your public radiation exposure limits. Keep doing what you're doing. And one might ask, why would Dr. Shoren do that? Well, when we look a little deeper, we find out that he is married to a lawyer who's a partner in a law firm that represents the wireless industry. So he has conflicts of interest and should have been nowhere near that National Toxicology Program study. And uh, unfortunately, this is happening all over the world. We see similar conflicts with ICNR and other governments. And what we should have done is way back in the 1990s when the science first started showing that we have biological harm, we should have invoked the precautionary principle, which European Parliament says that if there are signs that something is harmful, then you stop. You do the scientific investigation, and if it's ever proven safe, then you resume. But we did not invoke the precautionary principle. But the European Parliament has been investigating 5G of late, and just recently they had a forum, and the New Hampshire 5G report was held up as a really good example for any government body to follow. So, so that's why we don't know. Uh, but all this information is there if we have the political will to look. And I wanted to give a little bit of caution because places we used to go to for trustworthy information have also become captured. For example, here in the United States, one of our leading uh, newspapers used to be the New York Times. And when 5G started getting some press that maybe there's a problem here, the New York Times came out with an article called The 5G Health Hazard That Isn't. And they tried to pin it on the Russians for fear mongering that 5G was a problem. What you wouldn't know is that there are conflicts of interest, even at the New York Times. The gentleman who wrote that is a two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Bill or William Broad. I actually reached out to him and I got a, a brief response back and I said, is this an automated response or have I actually reached you? And he said, oh no, this is me. And I handed him the science. And then when you look to see who serves on the board of the New York Times, you will see industry people there. And Verizon, which is one of our largest telecom companies here in the United States, they've got a 5G lab at the New York Times. And then in Ireland, they called out the New York Times. Their ombudsman said there is a clear violation of truth and accuracy. They have violated the code and they're not doing true investigative journalism because they're bought by industry. So we need to be very careful where we get our information from. And one place that others also go on a regular basis is the World Health Organization. So if you just type in World Health Organization, electromagnetic fields or radio frequency, the first things you see are these outdated notices that are still up there 
that say, oh, it's inconclusive. You know, we don't have science that really says there's any problem. Well, how would you know that that's not current information? How would you know that in 2020, because of the studies, the animal studies that were done by the National Toxicology Program and the Ramazzini Institute and a whole bunch of other science, how would you possibly know that in 2020, the WHO opened up their investigation again? But that's not what comes up when you do a search. So, and as I mentioned earlier, the WHO has two groups. One's industry influence, one is science-based. And it looks like now that the industry group might hijack this new investigation and heavily influence the results of what they're looking at. But they're looking at cancers, they're looking at electrical sensitivities, they're looking at impacts on heart and, you know, all sorts of things that we know the science is showing. But again, the industry will probably manage to just drag this out further and further until they put all this 5G in unless we decide to speak up and do what we can from where we are to stop it. And so people all around the world are taking action. With cell towers here, this graphic here, the industry has targeted a lot of churches to put macro cell, the big cell antennas up in the church steeple because the churches always need revenue. Here in our town of Shelburne in Massachusetts, citizens worked with their town. They changed their town code or their bylaw or their ordinance. They put it in that it's illegal to put any kind of a wireless antenna within 1,500 feet or about 500 meters from a home, a residence, and 3,000 feet or like 1,000 meters from a school. So we're trying to protect our schools. And then in Burlington, Massachusetts, they had questions that the industry wasn't answering for them. So they put together a town-wide committee. They spent a year. They spent money and hired a lawyer who specializes in telecom law. And they came up with a small cell policy that said, you know, you can't block the sidewalks so somebody with a disability couldn't get past. Everything you bring in has to be painted to blend in with the environment. And then if you put a small cell in, you have to come back every year and recertify that that equipment is still working well in our community. And we don't have that expertise in Burlington, so we're going to have to hire an independent consultant to do that recertification. So you, industry, are going to have to pay us a fee for every one of those small cells you want to put in. Well, the Verizon lawyer, and Verizon is our telecom company in that town, their lawyer said, our client does not wish to set a precedent for either bringing in an annual recertification or for paying a fee because they plan to put millions of these up. And so they withdrew their small cell applications. So things can be done. The industry comes in and tells our town, it's coming, there's nothing you can do. But these are examples of what can be done. So in other towns in Easton, Connecticut, a grandmother figured out what 5G is and she started talking to her town and they put a ban on 5G in, Hawaii, the island of Hawaii, the big island, they put a moratorium on 5G until the health risks have been looked at. In Bermuda, they have a temporary ban on 5G. And then this is happening all over the world, but we don't hear about it in the media because as we saw with the New York Times, 
Much of our mainstream media is now owned by the industry directly or their parent companies or their advertising revenue is so great that they can't afford to bite the hand that feeds them. So, but if you go to a link like this, you will see things happening all over the world where people are protecting their communities, but we just need to learn. And so let's start where we are. What could you and I do today to control what we can control and still have excellent technology? So for us, keep everything off when you're not using it, right? Or if you are using your alarm or your camera or your clock or anything you've downloaded, put your device in airplane mode and then just go in and turn off every one of those antennas, the cellular, the data, the Wi-Fi, the Bluetooth, the hotspot, the locator, and then use your device safely. The other thing, just like we did with smoking, is we really need to start thinking a little bit bigger about secondhand radiation. What are we doing to those around us? Is there a baby next to us? Do we have a wearable on while we're nursing a baby? What are we doing with our pets? Are we locking our cats and dogs in a room with a Wi-Fi router all night? So we just need to start assimilating all this information into what we do on a daily basis and then just start making choices that give you great technology but without the risk. And it's not rocket science. So most of us have a router in our home that the internet company gave to us. If you look on the back there, these little ports or jacks for ethernet cables. So just get a really big ethernet cable, a long one, Look for something that says shielded because that means it's just got a layer of aluminum foil on the inside and that blocks any dirty electricity from bleeding out from the wires themselves, let alone radiation. So look for shielded ethernet cables. Take a big long one to wherever you use your technology, mostly in your home. And then if you use more than one device or if there are multiple people in your home, who knew you can just get this little ethernet switch. This one has five ports in it, but you can get one with eight or 16 or 20 or however many you need. And then just get shorter ethernet cables and plug them in here. So plug in the main one then plug in all the others and then just plug your devices into those. You know, who knew? You can hardwire a cell phone. You can hardwire a laptop. Even if you've got Apple products or other products that have gotten so skinny that they don't have an ethernet port in them anymore, you can just buy these little adapters for $20 or $30 and hardwire a Chromebook or an iPad or a MacBook or any laptop. Um, but before you buy anything, just make sure that whatever device you have, you have is compatible with an adapter. And then just go into each device and simply turn off all the antennas. And when I did this for my daughter, uh, we figured out how to hardwire her iPhone. So I brought it home and I asked her to hook it up and she hooks it up and I say, now go into the device and just go into your settings and turn off all those antennas. And I said, okay, now do something. And she went, oh my gosh, mom, it's so much faster. And that's the truth. Wireless will never be as good as hardwired technology, but all we've heard is all Wi-Fi all the time and all the benefits. So now that we can learn a little bit, I have chosen to just use a landline telephone at home and you can forward your cell phones to your landline. So if you have that opportunity, choose hardwired technology. If for whatever reason you don't have wireless where you live or work or go to school, 
create as much distance from the emitting devices and the routers as you can. But remember, there is no safe level of microwave radiation in the scientific literature. And then, you know, when I first started discovering this like nine years ago, we didn't have ready-made solutions like we have today. I was so honored uh, recently to speak about public policy at this EMF or Electromagnetic Field Medical Conference. All that training for doctors and nurses and our first responders, our firefighters, our police and constables, they can now get this training. It's about to be available online at the EMF Medical Conference. Dr. Cindy Russell and others also built a nonprofit website called Physicians for Safe Technology. That's a very credible place to share with your own healthcare teams. But even up here, our doctors, our nurses, and, and so forth can get professional training and get credits for it from this medical conference. And then for all of our wonderful engineers and physicists and technologists and architects who've never been taught about this, when we did that Health and Buildings Roundtable Conference, there was a call for papers, and Frank Clegg from Microsoft Canada worked with a lot of the leading doctors and scientists and building biologists, and they put together a published paper, what does make sense, what is smart technology in our built environment. So that's a great roadmap for all of these professionals. Even the IEEE, which is the Institute for Electronic and Electrical Engineers, which helped to set those sky-high radiation limits way back when, even they are recognizing that we need to change course and we need to get safety at the forefront. And then this TED Talk from Jeremy Johnson, he was a Silicon Valley engineer. His wife is a medical doctor. And when a bank of utility smart meters showed up on their condo, they got really sick. So he's got a great short TED talk there that may help some of our engineers and physicists and so forth come around on this. So what can we do? What's out there to help us learn about this ourselves? How can we quickly educate others on this? There's a project that was just launched in 2021 called Tech Safe Schools. And there are three webinars out there one is with a group of leading lawyers from all over the United States showing the legal risks that our schools face if we don't start getting to safe technology. And it's not threatening. It's just, hey, here are the facts and you need to know about this. Otherwise, you are assuming legal liability for radiating the students and staff. They have a second one with Dr. Deborah Davis, Dr. Paul Theroux, and other leading scientists and doctors who talk through the health risks to children and staff at schools. And then the third webinar is with a building biologist who shows us, you know, it's, it's not that hard. You just get the ethernet cables back and, you know, all these little adapters that we can buy, we can do this. And then think about, even though the industry sold us all on everything's got to be wireless or everything's got to be technology, go back to the science that says, how do you properly develop a child's brain? And it's not through technology. So we need to find a balance in there. And then this little book is from Lynn McLean out of Australia. She used to be a school teacher and then she went to work for her government in telecommunications and quickly put together 
that we need tools to teach children and their parents about this. So this is a skinny little book, a little paperback book, lots of white space and illustrations, but it can be used with our children and their parents to quickly learn how to make choices for safe technology. And then this is the nonprofit that I was honored to help build initially out of Europe and it's now centered out of Canada. Um, we have taken this vast amount of information and boiled it down into a half an hour course online that is built for schools and families. And then there's also one for the corporate work environment that covers the legal risk too. So literally on your lunch hour, we could train an entire workforce or an entire school. You receive a certificate of completion for compliance tracking at the end. And you also get to print out a tip sheet that has handy reminders, you know, make your home a sleep sanctuary, your dormitory, um, turn everything off when you're not using it and choose hardwired technology when and where you can or create distance. And then this award-winning film, Generation Zapped, is so good. It won Best Documentary at the United States, Washington, D.C. Independent Film Festival at the Women's Independent Film Festival. It was chosen as an official selection for the United Nations Film Association Festival. So it's, uh, it's got a lot of great information in there too. And our public broadcasting service on television here, Bert Wolf is a pretty popular guy. And he did two episodes and these are free and available to the public. So we also need to really just get back to a common sense relationship with technology. So let's, accept, let's avoid excessive screen time. We need to start setting limits for ourselves and our children because they watch everything that we do and they model themselves after our behavior. So I love this poster over here on the right, 50 ways to take a break. It just reminds us, go do the things that you used to love to do, write poetry, uh, go outside and play with your friends, go do sports, Go walk in nature, go sing, go dance, go hang out in a hammock, go down to the beach, go for a swim, you know, give thanks, reflect on kindness, all these meditations or whatever it was that you used to do to center yourself and make you feel good, hang out with loved ones. That's what we need to be redirecting our energy to and only using technology as a tool, not the go-to place, and certainly not as our playground. And this is a lovely book that just came out during the pandemic, The Earth Prescription. It turns out the science backs up that every living thing is meant to be biologically connected to the earth, just like our plants and everything are. We were supposed to be connected to the earth. And then we started living off the ground. We started trading out our leather-bound shoes for rubber-soled shoes. And the electrons from the earth used to go up through leather, but they don't go through plastic and rubber. So we're losing that healing energy that the earth has had there for us all along. And I live in the Northeast in Massachusetts and it snows and it's cold here for much of the year. So it's not like I can just go take off my shoes and walk on the grass. But what this Dr. Laura Conover did, she's a medical doctor, she took all four seasons and has dozens of ways for each season to ground naturally or to do your earthing naturally. Everything from just when you're out for a walk, just rub the leaves and the pine needles, whatever has a higher water content. 
and you will instantly be grounded. Same thing if you have pets and your pet is on the grass, just rub their ears or their snout, the less furry areas, and that will instantly ground you. And that grounding helps to regulate our own bioelectrical systems. So it's important, get outside and do grounding every day, that's free. So what might we do for next steps? Like I say, don't take my word on any of this. Do your own investigation. If you like the quick and easy, take those little courses from Wireless Education. If you like to do the deep dive, you're welcome to go to my research repository. This is the page for municipal leaders. I try to stand in their shoes. What are they up against? What are they hearing from the industry? And how do we get the truth integrated in there? And then come up with safe technology differentiating the industry's priorities from the public's priorities, because all we've heard are what the industry wants us to do. Now let's look and see what's right for the public. Here in the United States and in Europe, there's something called the ALARA principle, where your goal is to get to exposures that are as low as reasonably achievable. And right now we do that for ionizing radiation for the x-rays and the sun. We'd never leave ourselves or our kids exposed to an x-ray or the sun for 24 hours a day, all day, every day. We know what would happen. And it's slowly happening now with the non-ionizing radiation. As Dr. Cindy Russell says, this is causing oxidative stress, which is like rusting ourselves from the inside out on a slow burn. So we need to extend this ALARA principle to the non-ionizing radiation, just like we currently do with ionizing radiation. And then we always need to measure because it's invisible and we don't want to measure against the government guidelines because we know they don't protect us. Thankfully, there are documented recommended limits. Again, there's no safe level, but there are levels that are recommended, you know, get as low as you can in your sleeping areas and your daytime areas and those you can see um, at this link here or here, or you can go out you know, to the Building Biology Institute or Physicians for Safe Technology and all that information is readily available. And then for our communities, what I recommend is don't go on this journey alone because it's very rare that you will find a public servant like Representative Patrick Abrami in New Hampshire who listened, investigated, and then started working to fix it. If you're just one voice, what I found in my personal experience is you are very easy to dismiss, to just sweep you under the rug and pretend they never heard from you. So my suggestion is educate your loved ones, <coughs> educate the parents and the grandparents, because grandparents have been around long enough to know these environmental toxins need to be taken seriously. And they often have more free time than busy parents have. So they can often start speaking up. They might already have relationships with their public servants. So educate everybody around you before you go to the public servants. And then in the municipality, when you speak to them, this is a free online resource that Dr. Timothy Sheckley and this policy group out of Washington, D.C. in the United States documented not just the health, but there's a dozen more reasons why wireless is a really bad choice for our communities. It's not sustainable. 
wireless towers and antennas go down during natural disasters, and then people are left without emergency ways to communicate, keeping all of our buried landmines. Bury it, bury it like we do here, and bring it right to the premises. And this is the roadmap for how our town should be doing that. And then have our towns take the wireless education corporate course. We will offer bulk rates. We'll work with, you know, whatever you need. We'll make sure that training is available. Have our medical teams look at this EMF medical conference because too many people are being dis, uh, misdiagnosed when really they're suffering from electromagnetic illnesses. And uh, one nice thing that I learned when I was talking to our firefighters here is that they have to get continuing medical education credits in order to stay licensed as firefighters. So let them go to the medical conference too. And because this is now available as online training, they don't have to leave their firehouses to get trained and they don't have to have any budget for travel. So they, they were really excited to hear about this. And all of our healthcare providers from our doctors, our nurses, our alternative healers, everybody needs to know about this. Some of the energy healers are already tuned in, but far too many people are getting misdiagnosed. And then for the community education, let's train our schools as quickly as we can, because as we come out of the pandemic and the children start going back into the classrooms, well, during the pandemic, as every child, at least here, was given a wireless device and maybe a hotspot, they're getting so radiated. And just a little bit of education could have taught them, can still teach them how to hardwire or only use that device when it's not radiating or keep distance. So that Tech Safe Schools website is really good to share with our schools. But again, don't go it alone. Get a group of parents together before you talk to your schools because the industry, at least in Massachusetts, already penetrated at the state level, got them hooked with these sweetheart deals, all this wireless technology, and then they told them, hey, you need to put this in the curriculum to make sure the teachers are embedding this in their teaching lessons. So they got a big head start. So when you bring this up with your schools, they're gonna look like deer in the headlights because they have gotten so deep in bed with industry and now in Massachusetts, our state education authorities are grading our schools based on how thoroughly they're immersing this technology into the curriculum. So that's why our schools panic. But if we all work together and bring them the facts and show them that they have legal liability, that is what gets their attention in many cases. And then we already have the training built. We can train the entire school and the families. So everyone comes up to speed at once, literally in a half an hour with this little course. And we will work with the schools to make sure that they can pay for the licensing. And then Cyprus in the Mediterranean recently came out with this guide on safe internet connection, especially for children and distance learning. So the Cyprus Medical Authority, where they don't have much industry in Cyprus, so they don't have these huge conflicts going on and heavy influences, they actually already sent out guidelines to all the families in Cyprus to say, choose hardwired technology. And if you can't do hardwired, create distance. 
and minimize the amount of time that children spend on these devices because being in front of a screen is very dangerous for your eyes, for your posture. Um, so many, many concerns around technology in children. So that's what we've been doing here in Massachusetts. Folks are more than welcome to go out to Massachusetts for Safe Technology. And you can email me at ma, the number four, safetech at gmail.com. Or you're also welcome to find me through wirelesseducation.org. So with that, I will go ahead and stop my screen sharing. And if we have questions, we can <laughs> open it back for that. Can you see us again? Yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was wonderful, actually. It was wonderful. Uh, a really uh, composition of many points of view, very, very complete, very uh, full of researches for everyone that's watching for every level of knowledge in this subject. So, well, good. Those who well, I hope it helps. Yeah, it helps a lot. I, I, I want to watch it again because. <laughs> It was wonderful. Well, you know that I, film I generation, that yeah. film Generation Zapped, I have probably generation watched Zapped. it. Yeah, I probably watched it two dozen times in the number of screenings that I've done with people. And I still learn something new every time I watch it. So I understand what you mean when you say you want to go back and rewatch this. And then once I send you the slides, and we'll put that in the description if you can, you know, upload it and create a link to the slides then um, everybody can take their time and go through and just look one by one at whatever interests them in the presentation, so, yeah. Well, since it was so Yes, great. we actually doing a petition to the Brazilians streaming, sorry. We doing a petition for the Brazilian streaming like Netflix and Amazon Prime to movies on the uh, Brazilian streaming for the people who want to watch these documentaries because there is no nothing in the Brazilian platforms of streamings of EMF. So we are doing a petition, um, um, a campaign. Yeah, Actually a campaign, well, not a petition yet. Good for you. Yeah, and it's a, it's, it's a tough call for somebody like Netflix because they make their money off of everybody streaming. And they can still do that, but we need to direct them to encourage people to plug in and use an ethernet cable and then things stream so much faster. They'll, you know, it's, it's just better all the way around. Oh, thank you for bringing up Generations app. So with my library, what we discovered is that our library subscribes to a couple of different services. One is called Canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y. And the other one is called Hoopla, H-O-O-P-L-A. And it's maybe you have something similar in Brazil or other countries may have something similar. But our public library pays for these subscription services and anybody with a library card can put their account number in. And then for you know, these services, I can watch four or five movies a month for free. And Generation Zapped is included in some of those collections. So, oh, yeah, very and good. Actually, yeah, actually, there's three more movies. There's three more movies. There's Full Sino, uh, Generation Zap, uh, 
um, another one is, I don't remember now by, by memory, but there's four movies that we are doing a campaign to be available on, on, for, for the Brazilians. That's excellent. With subtitles, of course. Yeah, I mentioned that for my public library, we became yeah. the first in the nation to put one of these devices on loan to our citizens. Another program that we wound up being first in the nation with was a um, documentary film and discussion series at our library. And they did a six night, um, like one, one night each week for six weeks, they ran a different film. And there was one called Microwave Science and Lies out of Europe. There's another one that is called um, Resonance Beings of Frequency that talks about what our biological cells resonate at and how we're meant to be in sync, just like the birds and bees with the earth. And now that we've added on all of this. So there's some really good films out there. Uh, if you go into my research repository, and just type in film series, you'll see what we showed back then, um, if that's helpful. Um, but Generation Zap was out then. On the Massachusetts website, Massachusetts State mm -hmm. Technology website. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, do you yeah, have a question, Sylvia? Sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was I, I was going to, to yeah. say that the, all the things you said, um, it, you you explained in such a, a way that, as Fabiano said, everybody can understand. You know, people that are don't that don't know about the subject, but also have some some um, more knowledge about it. And um, I think this kind of message that you are bringing. Is, is more or less what we are trying to do in the slow phone, right? To um, show people uh, what the EMFs are, uh, the, the hazards that they bring, right? Yeah. And I, 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 I found it very interesting when you talked about how we can approach the schools, right? Mm -hmm. About the Wi-Fi in schools. And then you said it would be a good idea to get a group of parents together, yeah. right? before taking any other kind of action. Yes, and the more people you can get involved with this, and soon, the better, because I was just, you know, if we had had a gas leak in our science lab at school, they would have vacated the building and not let anybody back in until the environment was safe. And I thought that's what we would do with wireless. We'd go, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding. It's harmful and children are especially vulnerable. And then we would just protect our loved ones, protect our children. But the industry was so persuasive and they got a big head start. So don't go it alone because that's what you will go up against is that they have spent a lot of money to bring this technology into the schools and they don't wanna to have to look like they made a bad choice. So as easy as you can make it for them, and unfortunately it's usually the legal, the legal implications that get them to do something. Unless you happen to get one, again, one of those rare administrators who listens and does the right thing because it's the right thing to do, right? Uh, Cece, I loved when you said about the, the difference between tobacco and electrosmog, but at least the tobacco, you can smell it. Right. So this, that was very, <laughs> very simple and very, yeah, Incredible. and even with because natural gas. Of course, the tobacco you can smell. Yeah. Hmm? 
even with natural gas. You can smell any if you they put a fragrance. You can go far away from someone that's smoking. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's true because you and I can't tell if we're being exposed, although more and more people can because they'll feel it. They'll start recognizing the symptoms they get around it. I'll give you an example um, from a doctor whose little girl exhibited uh, some of the most frequent symptoms like not sleeping well, headaches, nosebleeds, nausea, dizziness. Um, cognitive impairment and they were out at a big store one day you know like just like a big general store where you can buy electronics or home goods and they've been in the store for just a couple minutes and all of a sudden the little brother starts beating on his sister and he just turns into this little wild man and the mom of course is embarrassed and you know she makes her excuses and they get out of the store and the little girl looks up at her mom and she says, mommy, don't you get it? When I start feeling like this, he starts acting like that. And it was hitting his central nervous system in a different way and it was making him violent. So we are all biologically very different. So some people will feel it sooner rather than later. And if you have any kind of a pre-existing health condition, you are especially vulnerable and now today, 50% of our children have a chronic illness. So what are we doing to our children? Right. Hi, Cece. How are you? This Hi. is Daniela. Nice to meet you. Exactly. We met at the uh, first conf EMF conference in Santa Cruz. I hope you remember me. Yes, yeah, in California. I, I, nice from to the see you again. Good to see you too. Welcome to Brazil. <laughs> Thank you. I hope to be here in person someday. <laughs> oh, yes. We should definitely have an EMF conference here in Brazil soon. I would like to ask you about the precautionary principle. Yes. It is, is that what is being called out in the lawsuits against the FCC? Resonance. I think there's a lot of good. Uh, what has been called out in the lawsuit in the FCC probably does add up to the precautionary principle because the legislative bodies have completely ignored the science instead of invoking the precautionary principle. Yes, because the precautionary principle is when there is doubt and there is no um, scientific proof of harm. And well, yeah, but then there is and of course then when there's no proof um the government should act in caution right exactly. but then we already have all the scientific studies by physicians and doctors and medical doctors and biologists mm -hmm. so what is it missing that those studies are not being officially recognized well, we have a phrase here that says, follow the dollar. And it's these powerful industries, just like we've seen with the agricultural industry and the chemicals they put in the land, just like we've seen with tobacco and the toxic products that they produce, just like we see with the pharmaceutical companies that are pumping our population full of drugs, instead of giving them the option to let their bodies heal naturally and teach homeopathy and naturopathy and energy medicine, all these other ways that for thousands of years, humans have healed themselves. 
it's the same thing. This is now, you know, we had big Wi-Fi, big Agra, big Pharma, and now we've got big Wi-Fi, you know? So it's influenced by these industries that have easy access to our lawmakers. And so they get laws put in place that protect their interests instead of the public. So we really need the public to speak up because without the public voice, unless you get a really good legislator who is there to do the right thing, there's a huge layer of conflict of interest there. Yes, because with all the scientific studies proving the, uh, the biological harm, even in the environment, because that's uh, an environmental principle in environmental, environmental law, so this, uh, the principle that should be called out, called out now should be the prevention principle. Mm -hmm. And um, I would like, to, because then you can really have uh, regulations that are more preventive of damaging happening, right? And, uh, and specifically with the right information about what is, what uh, ionized non-ionizing radiation radiation um, stands for, right? So, would you know the how um, the frequencies concessions by the U.S. government are d dealt with, or they're not? They are completely allowed to radiate the public at these extraordinarily high levels, but if these lawsuits succeed then the FCC, our Federal Communications Commission, will hopefully be made to reassess and finally start accounting for all that science. And then we would hope public policy would align with emission limits. And, you know, bottom line, there is no safe level of radio frequency radiation in the scientific literature. But we have to start where we are and then come up with plans to transition to safe technology. But for individuals who are listening today, I would jump on every opportunity to fix what's under my control, right? Learn how to use your cell phone differently. You can hardwire your cell phone and forward calls to a landline if you still have a landline. During the pandemic, most people aren't going anywhere anyway. And this technology was never developed to be used when you're staying in one place that was meant to be mobile, when you're mobile, not when your device is mobile walking around your house, but when you're outside of your home or you're outside of your office. But then, you know, there was so much money to be made by selling everything new products. So yeah, we've lost our way in a big way, but we know what halfway is back, but it comes down to individual choice. You know, we can share the information, but what people do with that information is their business, but we are morally obliged to protect our collective children. So that's why so many of us keep doing this work is because we know there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's just, whew, we got to get through so much to get there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very broad cans for your I'm sure they're inspiring us, inspiring many other people in many other states of uh, showing bill of New Hampshire. I hope other 49 follow New Hampshire. I know. 
and I hope it's for So it's very to, to, to show more this bill uh, to the world, not just for the states, but for the world, because uh, that, that gives us a hope. So thank you very much. Uh, we keep in touch welcome. to and new projects and new actions because we yeah. need action. Yes. Yeah, that's just it. Start where you are and find the courage. Because <clears throat> I was scared. I didn't want to raise my voice and do any of this, but don't mess with my kids. I'm going to do everything I can do to protect my kids. Um, so we just try and be as diplomatic and polite as we can, but know when to stand firm. And don't expect anybody else to do this for you. You have to keep following up, keep presenting new information because the science comes out all the time showing harm. So if anything, I wish you all courage and persistence and little by little, we're moving that needle towards safe technology. So thank you for everything you're doing in Brazil. All right, have a good day, bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you, Danielle. Bye. Bye.